0: It's good to be together, and it's good to see you. Uh, And what for us is our first worship service of the new year of 2012. And as part of that, what I want to do is begin a series uh, today, a sermon series, looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer and just going through the Lord's Prayer, clause by clause over probably five weeks, but enabling us to really somehow get to grips with the way prayer does two things. The way prayer enables us to come before God with what's important. But far more importantly, I think, the way prayer shapes us. And I'm going to explain, past as I go through this more and more what I mean by that. That in a sense, but you know what? The truth is, I've got so much I want to say that this may come out as a bit of a jumble. (laughs) But here we go. The truth, thank you. The truth is that it's possible to label yourself a Christian, to be involved in church, to be involved in ministry in church, and to live as a functional atheist. In other words, you put your label on yourself, But because you're not in active, vibrant engagement with God, that which we call prayer, you're actually operating the same as everybody else in the world. You're operating as a functional atheist. Of course you believe in God. Of course you believe in the truth. Of course you believe in all that we stand for. But in actual fact, there's no difference. And prayer is the gift that God gives us that says, you are mine. You belong to me. And I'm yours. And it's like, why would we not want to come and say, God, this is us. It's kind of like, and and I'm not pointing fingers because we've all done it. But it's like, why would we not pray? (laughs) Why wouldn't we do it? If we believe what we say we believe, if we believe what we've just sung, why would we not bother to pray? We'd be stupid. Stupid. (laughs) One day soon my voice will break. Second thing I want to say around this, is what you pray about tells you what you think is really important. If you want to know what you actually think is really important about your life, listen to what you pray about. Because your prayers indicate what you actually think is most important. But I want to tell you that not everything you pray about is the most important thing. Let's read. Let's read from Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 6, and it's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. That's really important to remember, because the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus gathering together disciples and saying, this is what life in the new kingdom's like. This is how you are to live in between the times, in between the times when Jesus has come before the... He's he's sort of brought all things, restored all things. But for his disciples, this is actually what it means to be a follower, a radical follower of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, from chapter 5 through to the end of chapter 7, covers the whole of life. It covers all of your reactions. It covers all of the ordinary temptations. It covers all of the ordinary impulses of life. And in the midst of it, Jesus talks about your acts of righteousness, he calls them. In other words, the stuff you do for God. And Jesus recognized that it's really easy that our spiritual stuff, if you like, has a shadow side. And the shadow side is we do it to impress other people. I wonder how many of you, and I'm not expecting you to put your hand up, but I wonder how many of you never, ever pray out loud so anybody else can hear because you're frightened of what? You sound like you're frightened of getting the words wrong. You're frightened of getting it all a bit. You just sound stupid. When I was a, a young minister at the at the first church, um, the only other church <laughs> that's ever had me, um, at the end when we were leaving, um, one of the, the guys was. A, a, somebody, I think I've told this story before, but one of the guys was a Yorkshireman, and he was uh, he. People from Yorkshire, and I would count myself as that, but people from Yorkshire, we, 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 we pride ourselves on a spade being a spade and just telling it how it is. Essentially, we're rude. Um, but this guy who was from Yorkshire, was, he, he took that to the nth degree. And, um, but he, he stood up and he said, I, I just wanted to say how valuable I found Neil's prayers. And I'm thinking, "Oh, yes, for I am that man of God. And, um, and he, said, he said, because he gets a lot of things wrong as well. <laughs> And it just gives me a lot of encouragement. (laughs) And then sat down, I thought, well, fair enough. But Jesus knew that there was a shadow side of all this, that actually we can do stuff that if we're not careful, we do in order to look impressive. Jesus speaks in this chapter about that, and he says, it's important you do it, but I want to tell you how to do it. So he begins, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. (coughs) If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, They've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need Before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father won't forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. But they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So, it'll be not ob- so it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. For some of us, this prayer, what we would know as the Lord's Prayer, was spoilt for us because we had to say it in school, because we had to say it in services where we weren't engaged, ...or in church life before we became Christian, ...and it became rote. I, I, the school I went to uh, was not a Christian school by any means... ...but it was a, a, a school where every morning you had to say the Lord's Prayer... ...and we mumbled our way through the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, when I became a Christian... ...the last thing I actually wanted to do was have anything to do with the Lord's Prayer. Because I wasn't an Anglican and I wasn't a Catholic... ...so I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in a context where liturgy was important... It was, in fact, it was deemed to be, you don't need to have a rote prayer. And I kind of turned my back on it to such an extent that when, in turn, I was also doing assemblies, I do remember at Buell Hill, one day, (laughs) saying to the kids, I'm going to pray, I'm going to uh, do something about the Lord's Prayer, and starting to pray, and of course nobody else joined in, I was on my own, getting halfway through and realizing I wasn't sure what came next. (laughs) I wasn't sure that they ever were not led into temptation that day. Um, because it seems like that's kind of like, for me in my mind, it was, always, it was like learning by rote. And um, I've changed. You grow older and you grow more wise. Because you recognize, I recognize, that I need help to pray because left to my own device my prayers become too um, too selfish in Luke's gospel and Luke and Matthew are the only two gospels that have this prayer Luke's gospel introduces it in a different way Luke has the disciples coming to Jesus and saying to him explicitly Jesus will you teach us how to pray Matthew has it in the Sermon on the Mount where he's teaching them how to pray. And What strikes me is the different answer that Jesus gives to the answer that we give to new Christians who say, how do you pray? On the whole, this is what we tell people when they say, how do you pray? We say to them, just talk to God about anything. Just tell him what you're, where you're up to, tell him your needs, just talk about him. Just talk to God as though he were a friend. That's what we have said. And what we mean by that is God is very close to you. He cares for you. He loves you. He's intimately interested in what's happening in your everyday life. Therefore, you can tell him whatever is happening. But what's really interesting is Jesus doesn't say that to his disciples. Jesus says to his disciples, you're absolutely right. You don't know how to pray. These are first century Jewish men who've grown up in synagogue. They've gone through bar mitzvah. They understand. They have a culture of prayer. And he goes, no, you're right. You see, the problem about just telling God about anything is you will tell him everything about yourself. And once you've got it off your chest, all the things that are worrying you, you'll walk away. And Jesus comes and goes, actually, I want to tell you how to pray. Because left to your own devices, you're right. You don't know. And that's why this prayer begins to shape us. Because the stuff you ask for in prayer is the shaping material in your own life. Because it's the stuff that you think is the most important. It's the things that you think are the most urgent. And in this prayer, it causes you to take a step back and to recognize, actually, God has a different agenda. It's 52 words. That's all. 52 words. (laughs) 52 words that encompass the whole of life, that answer the question, who am I? How do I fit into what God wants? How do I deal with my past? How do I deal with my present? What's it all about? And am I going to be okay? 52 words. kind of want to encourage you to get this and over these next five weeks at least for five weeks to make this the primary way you pray and just see what happens by now even those of you that are the most festive your christmas trees are presumably down they're either in the loft if you have uh, uh, an artificial one or they're in your garden or they're in the tip all right if you've got a real one I suspect that none of you, however bar-humbug you might be, none of you who put a tree up said, we're not going to bother with any lights or tinsel or baubles, we're just going to put a tree up. All of you somehow festoon your own tree. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote about this prayer, he said, this prayer is a bit like the spine of a tree on which you hang your own particular situations, but actually the tree is the central thing. And your own needs are your baubles that you hang on. But actually the tree is the center. What I want to say is very simple about the first few words. It begins like this. You know it so well. The first thing I want to say about prayer is your first word in prayer should never be sorry. (laughs) Your first word in prayer is never sorry. God, I messed it up again. Jesus, when he speaks to the disciples, says, your first word is always our Father. Father. Because it's about what God has done. It's about the fact that this God is not distant from you. That this God is on your side. That this God has actually claimed you. That you are his three thoughts. Our Father, our Father who's in heaven. This is a corporate prayer, it's about our Father. Jesus, when he teaches his disciples, he actually gives them a prayer. They pray together, Our Father, let's come together, and we join with Jesus in him praying to his Father. When we pray, we need each other. I don't know what you do, because I suppose it's one of the things we never talk about, but what do you do? What's going on in your head when other people are praying out loud? You don't need to tell me, because it could be discouraging, but (laughs) what's going on in your head? See, I'm really intrigued by this whole idea of what happens when when we're together, because there's one way that you're sort of saying, well, you know, I'm listening to, to you know, so-and-so pray, and uh, I'm just waiting for them to finish. All right. Or you might be listening to so-and-so pray and go, oh, I wouldn't have said it like that. Or What's he, what do they mean by that? Oh, well, he sounds a bit odd. You know, you, all those sort of things. And uh, sometimes in, when you gather together to pray together, it's like, well, as soon as they finish, let's get on with the next one now. And it's like, we're not listening at all. We're just waiting for a gap. But when we pray together and when we don't just rely on cliché, we let each other into our own lives a bit. When I'm listening to you pray, I'm hearing what's happening. I'm hearing who you are. I'm hearing what you're like. I'm hearing what you feel about God. I'm listening to the things that matter to you. I'm in that privileged position of eavesdropping on your conversation with God. And it's the an unobvious thing, but prayer together, in our in our context, in our culture, what we've done is we've emphasised private prayer so much. You know, some of you who really struggle with prayer, and in the room there are people who really struggle with prayer, and it's not that you've always struggled with prayer, it's just you struggle with prayer right now. (laughs) If you're ordinary and normal, your prayer life will ebb and flow. That's normal. And the best thing you can do if you're really struggling right now with prayer is to get someone else to come and pray with you. Just ask them, can we meet together on this time, for this length of time, over this number of weeks. Just so we can pray together. It'll kick start something in you. Because the alternative is just trying on your own all the time. We know this in the wider world. This is why for, for those of you that have decided that this, you know, this year we're going to lose four stone. That was your resolution. This year we're going to lose four stone. Ian, don't try this at home. Um, (laughs) Welcome to our transparent worship leader. Um, (laughs) Truth is, it's really unlikely you're going to do it on your own. It's really unlikely you're going to manage that without any help from anybody else. really is unlikely. You might, but it's really unlikely. And so it is with prayer and the development of our life with God. You need one another with you. Our Father. This element of God being called Father, the first time it happens in the Bible, it's in a really interesting place. It's in Exodus chapter 4. And it's when God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Now what we got to understand is, at the time, uh, the people of uh, God were in Egypt, they were in captivity, and Pharaoh was the sort of, the, the leader of Egypt, but actually was far more than a leader, he was far more than a governor, he was almost seen to be divine. And God says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh's All the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. The first time God speaks of himself as being father and the people of God being a son, the children of God, is in a context where you're in a fight between two powers, Pharaoh, Egypt, and freedom and Yahweh. Lots of people have spent a lot of time talking about our father and the fact that Jesus does use the word Abba which is an Aramaic word, which is an intimate family word. And the danger is that we make it too soft and fluffy. It's not the equivalent of climbing onto daddy's knee and saying, oh, my daddy. That is is kind of like taking that one word and pushing it too far down one direction. This idea of fatherhood is ownership, it's claiming, it's protection, it's you belong. When I pray our Father, when we pray our Father, we say we stand for you and for your cause and for your mission and on your ground. And it's because of what you've done. Our Father who's in heaven, it's not because heaven is distant, it's about because heaven is about authority. Our Father who's in heaven, And when Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he reflects on this, he picks it up in Galatians and he talks, and Romans, and he talks about the fact that God has given the Spirit who causes you and me to cry out, Abba, Father. That language of Abba, Father. What does the Spirit want to do in your life the spirit is engaging you that you might know that you belong to him. I think it's almost inevitable that everybody in the room, everybody in the room, suffers from the same human complaint of feeling inadequate. Am I good enough? Am I any good Am I able to fit in? What do people think of me? Each one of us, there's not one of these, however confident we might appear on the surface, I think it's just human, human nature that says, actually deep down, I'm frightened I'm not good enough. I'm frightened that somehow I've not made it. And some of us, we cover it up to try and prove to people what we've done is important. Sometimes we put ourselves down and sometimes we, that spirals into depression. But actually, that's a common complaint. We could talk about this, and I think it goes back right to the garden in the beginning of the story. The fear of shame, the fear of being judged, the fear of being found out. And what's the Spirit wanting to do? The Spirit comes and enters into our lives and cries out, Abba. It's true that your work colleagues might think you're not the best. It's true that your children might think you're very old-fashioned. It's true that your partner might feel, is that really who I married? It's true that sometimes your friends might think you're not the greatest of friends. It's true that sometimes you'll feel you let yourself down. But the Spirit cries out. You're mine. And the key thing for us as Christians together is, whose do you belong to? Whose are you? I am the Father's. I was reading before Christmas from 1 John 5, and it was a passage that just struck me again. When John is reflecting on being loved by God, he ends his book... There's a letter with these words. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The reason it caught me is because it's one of those passages that just catches you on the hop. And it makes you, if you read slowly enough, to go, is that really true? Is that promise really true? Is it really the case that actually John, who says, I write that you might know you have eternal life, that you might know that Abba, Father? And of course, you know that because of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. You know that because of the relationship he offers you, that this is brand new and you're invited into that relationship. But once you're there, do you know that as you pray and as you ask according to his will, because as the spirit is at work within you, crying out, Abba, Father, the spirit who reminds you you belong to him, it's the spirit who now begins to shape the things you really want. Because at one time I would have simply prayed, oh Lord, will you give me a Mercedes Benz? (laughs) But now, but now, oh God, my prayer has changed. You see, you get this fatherhood bit right, and it becomes much easier to pray the next clause, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. If you ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we've asked of him. Some of you who've been following Jesus for so many years, like I have, why don't we just risk more? Why don't we just ask more? Last thought. There was a a theologian called Paul Ricoeur, who was uh, very clever, very sophisticated, and he talked about the need that Christians have for what he called a second naivety. When you first become a Christian, you someone tells you about God and God who loves you and God who answers prayers and you hear about press, so you just ask. And there's lots of us in the room. You'd, you'd look back sort of 10 years, and you go, do you know, we asked for some daft things, but God seemed to answer. And he just did it. And I, I don't know how he did it. And God spoke to me through buses that came by through, do you know what I mean? There was sort of like a whole number of stuff. And then we would tell people who'd been Christians longer about that, and they'd go, they'd smile, and they'd go, well, that's lovely. But, that, but God doesn't actually normally speak through buses, Neil." Or, you know, be careful because it won't always be like that. And so, what you do is you learn then to be wiser about what you say and actually what you expect. And the truth is, you expect less. You expect less. And so, now we've got the badge, I'm a Christian. I'm a youth worker, I'm a children's worker, I'm a church leader, I'm a whatever, house group leader. But now I'm thinking, well, the Spirit will give me power to do what I know I ought to do, and I'm just going to do it. But I don't ask because I expect less. And what Recur talked about was a need for a second naivety. You don't go back to being the person you were, but you go back with a stronger faith that this is a father who loves you, who actually is a God who can provide, a God who does hear, a God who does answer, a God who gives his children good things. Maybe this year we just need to dare to ask more. Because maybe, just maybe, our expectations have been too low.